Good morning, church. Good to be together. Good morning to you joining us online and those of you listening to this message. It's good to be together again around the Word of God. Amen. And this morning, our whole worship set, I don't know if you noticed, but there was uh, an underlying theme of the resurrection. We are celebrating life. We've just had Easter weekend when we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, it, it is such a privilege for us as believers to be uh, sure that it is life after life. We're talking about Jesus' last song, I'm yours now forever, now and forever, uh, which means a continuity. Amen. And so the idea to do this series of messages was sparked by the event we heard about in last Sunday's message. If you remember, one of the things that happened last Sunday, you know, well, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. If you remember, there were those two travelers walking in the afternoon, going to their village, and uh, this third traveler joins them, which was Jesus. Remember, it was Jesus. And uh, he begins to, to help them to look again at the scriptures. It was all verses and scripture that those two travelers knew. They were, they were familiar with the Jewish scriptures, with the Old Testament. But somehow, they had not made the connection between what was written in the olden days and what was happening that weekend right there in Jerusalem. And so Jesus comes alongside them and he begins to open up the scriptures, remind them. Remember what Moses said and what David wrote and what, and, and, and he carries on opening the scriptures to them. And they started getting excited then realizing, hang on, what, what is happening this weekend was supposed to happen. It is written. And so it is based on that that this series is, 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 is going to help us. In this series, Cross Reference, called Cross Reference, we are going to look at some scriptures from the Old Testament and make the connection between the Old Testament, New Testament, and our lives today. Amen? And that is what this series is all about. And I trust that for all of us, it will be eye-opening. It will be encouraging as we look at some current uh, topics of importance to our life, topics which are important to our faith as well, and of course, important to our eternity. Amen? Today, we start in part one, and it's called Alive Indeed. Amen? Jesus is alive indeed. And by the way, you know, we, we pray and, and God answers prayer. Sometimes not exactly the way we want it, but he does answer prayer. All right. That's because Jesus is alive indeed. And now, being, being the Sunday, today is the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, right? Now, let's travel back to 2,000 years ago when these things happened. All right. Let's think back to that first century when those events took place in Jerusalem. Last Sunday evening, Jesus would have appeared to his disciples. Remember, it was only in, in the evening at night that Jesus appeared to his disciples. We're all together, locked house, all of a sudden, Jesus is in the house. And he appears to them. And he spoke with them and he ate with them. And they were all there except one, Thomas. And when Thomas was told that Jesus had appeared to them, he said, wonderful, that's good news, <laughs> fantastic. No, he said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Unless I see him, unless I put my finger on his side, I don't believe. And so Thomas has spent this whole week now struggling to believe that Jesus is alive. So tonight, 
Jesus would appear again to the disciples. And Thomas would be there. And he would look at Jesus and he would see the wounds. And Jesus told him, come Thomas, come, come, look. Look again, make sure, make sure it's me. <laughs> and Thomas' reaction was, my Lord and my Savior. And then Jesus would say those words, which mean so much to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it's so encouraging to us because that's you and me, isn't it? We haven't seen Jesus face to face. I've never touched, you know, the sore on his side or on his hands. But I believe in him. Jesus is so real to me and I pray he's so real to you, to you online, to you listening to this message. I believe and I pray that Jesus would be as real to you today as if you had seen him. And that is very important. Now, uh, Thomas was not the only one to doubt that Jesus was alive. During those first uh, decades as the gospel went out, um, it, was, it was difficult. After the resurrection, as the apostles began to go out and preach the gospel, they, they were confronted with the situation. But did Jesus rise from the dead? Is it true? And so it became an important part of the preaching to show that Jesus was alive indeed. That he had indeed risen from the dead. Now, why was this so important? I mean, come on. All other religions have leaders who are dead. From Islam to Buddhism, all the guys that started it, they're all dead. None of them are alive. So why is it so important for Christianity to have a living leader? <laughs> well, because this is the truth. The resurrection of Jesus is the truth upon which Christianity rests. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, what are we doing here? So it is very important. So what is the gospel? And Paul declares it very succinctly, very beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15. And, and follow me as I, and listen carefully as I, as I read this to you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11, it says the following. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Now, the word gospel is the Greek word evangelion, which means good news. That's what gospel means. It's simply a translation of a word which means good news. In the old English, God's spell, it, it, it meant actually good news about God. It's an old English word, which now has become gospel, okay? But gospel simply means good news. So now I would remind you, brothers, of the good news that I preached to you. Now watch. Which you received. I preach to you, you receive the good news, and in which you stand. Earlier today, when my wife was opening, she spoke about us standing in the Word of God. And this is the truth upon which we stand. The Word of God, the gospel, the good news, okay, upon which we stand. And by which you are being saved. We are being saved. We are being transformed. We are being transformed into the image of Christ more and more by this good news. If, <laughs> if you hold fast 
to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance. Now listen, what is Paul saying over here? This is not an optional matter. It's not something which you can choose to believe if you want to. Would be nice, you know, if you believe what I'm telling you today. No, no, no. Paul says it's of first importance. This is critical that you believe this. I deliver to you as of first importance also what I also received. So what did Paul receive? Here it is. Number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Christ didn't just die. It wasn't just one more person hanging on a cross. No, Jesus died for our sins, their sins, our sins, and the sins of future generations until Jesus comes. He died for our sins, but not just randomly. He died according with scripture. Keep that in mind. We're coming back to this to you. We're coming back to this later. So Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture. That's number one. Number two, that he was buried. And by the way, when Christ died, he was dead. I'm, I'm saying this because your people out there who say, no, Jesus never died. He simply fainted. The pain was so much that Roman cross was so torturous that he fainted. Right. Those Roman soldiers knew how to kill a man. And nobody came out of that cross alive. If they thought the man was alive, they'd break his bones and wait until he was completely dead. It's what happened to the two thieves next to Jesus. Jesus was dead and then he was buried. Number three, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus was killed, crucified on Friday, first day, Saturday, second day, Sunday, third day. On the third day, he, he was raised. And number four, and that he appeared. Jesus didn't just raise, was raised from the dead and, and, and quietly tiptoe out of the grave and, and disappeared. No, he showed himself to many people. He appeared. Appeared to whom? To Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. This was no illusion. This was 500 different people at the same time saw Jesus, most of whom are still alive. So when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, most of those 500 people were still alive. You could go and knock on the door and check with them. Hey, hey, were you there? Did you see Jesus? They could confirm, yeah, I was there. <laughs> He's alive. I saw him. It wasn't some illusion. Amen? It wasn't some trick. And those some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, to Paul. And we read about Paul's encounter with Jesus in the book of Acts. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. This poor guy, he was a terrorist, man. He killed Christians. He was a murderer. And then he has an encounter with Jesus and everything changes. 
and he becomes an apostle. When you see what Jesus did with Paul, I guess it is hope for us, right? <laughs> Amen. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, in, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, than any of the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, that is with me. So Paul is bragging a little bit of it. He says, man, I'm working harder than, than Matthew and, 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 and Mark and all those dudes that were with Jesus, those 11 guys. I'm working harder than them. But he says, it's not I. It's the gifting that God has. Paul had a gifting. And with the same determination, with the same passion that he was persecuting the church, when he met Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, with that same passion, he began to proclaim the gospel. And plant churches and bring people to the knowledge of Jesus. It was his gifting. It was the grace of God that was in him that caused him to do that. Amen. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believe. So I say, you know what? Paul and the apostles, all of them preached the same thing. They preached this. Okay. They were preaching the good news, the same gospel. And all the believers believed in this gospel. Why were they emphasizing this? What was the gospel or the good news that they preached? Here it is. Let's look at it again. Let's summarize the gospel. The gospel is this. It's going to come up now. It is Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's the good news. He was buried. I might say, now, what's good about Jesus Christ dying and about being buried? Hang on, there's more. Here it is. He was raised on the third day. <laughs> and he appeared to many. So there were witnesses. There were witnesses. He died not just any death, but he died for our sins. And he was buried. But on the third day, he was raised and he appeared to me. Now, what does this tell us then? That Jesus is alive indeed. Because when he came back, when he was raised on the third day and he appeared to many, he did not die again. He came back in a glorified body. That's why sometimes it was a little bit difficult for people to recognize him the first time they looked at him because he had, a, you know, version two of his body. You know, the final version, the best one, eternal version, could not die again. And then, after being 40 days with them, he ascended to heaven and he is still alive. He did not die. He is alive today. Now, the question is this. Do you believe this gospel? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? That he was buried? That he was raised on the third day? And that he is alive today? Do you believe this as you're watching? Maybe some of you are watching for the first time. Do you believe this? And I wonder, you see, the death, the burial, and the physical resurrection of Jesus are the foundation of our beliefs. Did you hear that? The death Burial and physical resurrection. Real resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our beliefs as Christians. And I wonder how many Christians in South Africa believe this today. 
And I wonder because our beliefs in the fundamentals of Christianity can so easily slip away. We live in a world which is constantly questioning biblical beliefs and a biblical worldview. The world is always asking, is it really true? What the Bible teaches you, is it still valid for today? Oh, it was very good for the people in the Old Testament. Maybe even very good for the people in the first century. But is it still valid today? Did Jesus really live? Did he really exist? Is he really alive? Do you believe that? And we are constantly being questioned and challenged in our beliefs. Now, why do I say that I wonder how many Christians in South Africa believe in the resurrection today? I'll tell you why. Because I came across the following. Great Britain was a nation which in centuries past sent missionaries all over the world to preach the gospel. Missionaries went from Great Britain to a remote part of the world carrying the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet, listen to this, recently, in 2017, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, reported the results of a survey which they commissioned. Do you know what they found out? That a quarter, listen to this, a quarter, 25%, a quarter of the people who describe themselves as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But they are Christians. But they do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I wonder what they do in church on Sundays. Three in ten Christians, 31% of the Christians that were surveyed said that they did not believe in life after death. But they're Christians. But they don't believe that when you die, there is life after death. They believe when you die, it's over, finished. But they call themselves Christians. You see what I'm talking about? So we, we live in a world which is challenging our beliefs. And if we are not careful, we can slip and slide. And instead of holding on to the truths of Scripture... We begin to compromise and we let go of some things and we embrace what the world thinks. It's dangerous, people. And so that's why I say, I wonder how many in South Africa, how many Christians in South Africa still believe that Jesus rose from the dead physically. How many Christians still believe that there is life after death? You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of Christianity. Yet, one in four persons who call themselves Christians in Great Britain do not believe this. The Apostle Paul clearly declares that those who hold fast to this truth, to the gospel, including the resurrection of Jesus, they are saved by it. We are saved by believing in this. If we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive... Then Paul declares that our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. In other words, this whole Christianity thing is a sham and we are wasting our time. 
If Jesus is dead, if Jesus is not alive, what are we doing here, wasting our time here and doing church? Might as well go and have a picnic, man. You see how important this is? It is fundamental to our faith. But the fact is, folks, that our preaching is not in vain. And we are living, we have a living hope. Because Jesus is alive. Amen? Now, as many of you know, last Sunday, our sister Joan Bracey passed away. Okay, shut up. Due to those heart attacks, she could not survive. She passed away. And she departed. She left us on her favorite holiday day, Resurrection Sunday. It was her favorite holiday of the year. So can you imagine, at the end of the day, on Sunday, Sunday night, she closes her, eyes on earth for the, closes her eyes on earth for the last time, and she opens her eyes in the presence of Jesus. On Resurrection Day, she discovers life like she has never lived before. No more pain, no more sorrow, joy, peace. She's in the presence of the Lord. We had a funeral yesterday morning here at church. And as we were sitting up and, and as the service evolved, I, I, I made a comment which those who were present, they, they agreed with me. I said that that service, that funeral service, it, it, looked more, it looked more like a festival than a funeral. There was a lightness in the atmosphere. There was joy. There was laughter. Yeah, there were tears too because people lost a very dear friend and a very dear family member. But there was a festive atmosphere. There was hope. Because Auntie Joan put her faith in Jesus who is alive. That's why we could have that. There was hope. There was joy. We knew that this was not the end. That she's alive and well. And one day we're going to meet again. And you're going to see that beautiful smile again. Because Auntie Joan put her faith in Jesus who is alive, we know from Scripture that our sister is alive in the presence of Jesus. If Jesus had not raised from the dead, then we could not have disbelief. We could not have had the service we had here yesterday. We could not have this hope, this comfort, and this joy. So people, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that He is alive, makes all the difference to us, to our faith, to our present, and to our future. But you see, Paul and the writers of the New Testament, they remind us constantly that Jesus is alive. And these writers and preachers, they put their lives on the line. Because they knew that Jesus was alive indeed. You must remember, Christianity in the first century carried with it the risk of dying. You could lose your life in the first century for believing in Jesus. We, we're getting back there, by the way. By believing in Jesus and believing the truths of the Bible, some of your privileges could be compromised as well going forward. Look what's happening right now across the world. If you're anti-abortion, something wrong with you. If you're anti-same-sex marriages, you're going to be charged as someone who, who hates those people. We don't hate people. We don't hate sinners. We love sinners. But we have to preach the truth. We have to lead people to Jesus. I cannot say what the Bible does not say. 
And it's becoming more and more difficult for you to verbalize what you think or what you believe. It could cost you a promotion at work. People could make a case against you. It's, we're going back to the first century, guys. That's why I often say Jesus is going to come back to a world which looks very much like the world he left. And that's why he's going to come back. Because if he doesn't come back soon, this world is going to self-destruct completely. But those guys in the first century, those apostles, they risked their lives. Now, do you think they would risk their lives for a lie? No. Another thing that the writers of the New Testament remind us of continuously is the, is the fact that the life, death, resurrection of Jesus was not some random event. It didn't just happen. They remind us that all those things had been prophesied and that Jesus was the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. When the New Testament authors talk about Scripture, listen, when they talk about Scripture, they are referring to the Old Testament. As Peter and, and John and Matthew and Mark, as they wrote their books, their letters and so on, all they had was the Old Testament. And when they talk about Scripture, they are talking about the Old Testament. Today, when you and I talk about Scripture... We talk about the full bunch. We, 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 we have the benefit of having the Old and the New Testament, which we regard as Scripture. And so we draw on the sum total of God's revelation, Old and New Testament. But keep in mind, when the New Testament guys say Scriptures, they're referring to the Old Testament. And so when Paul said just now, Jesus died according to Scripture. He died for our sins according to Scripture. He was referring to the Old Testament. He was making a connection dated in the first century between what had been prophesied and what had happened. And today we read, we look back and we've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament record confirming what happened there in response to what had been done and prophesied in the Old Testament. And so we can find various passages. And when Paul says, it died according to scripture. Paul doesn't say which scripture he's referring to. When he wrote, he just said according to scripture. I assume and I tend to believe that when Paul was preaching live to people, he actually made reference. He would say Jesus died according to scripture because Moses said this and, 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 and David said that. And we knew that Paul used to preach very long. I mean, sometimes the guys think I preach long. You ain't seen nothing yet. Paul preached so long that people fell asleep. People fell off the windows, man. And I think it's because he was taking time to go back to Scripture. You know, Jesus said this, but look, it happened. It, it was written like this. And then and he goes back and forth. And he would show the guys and say, it takes a long time if you're going to go back and forth all the time. So don't worry, I'm not going to do that, okay? But the fact is this, that he was referring to Scripture. Now, we can find many Old Testament passages that could possibly point to the promised suffering of the Messiah. Many passages of the Old Testament point to the fact that Messiah would suffer, that he would die, be buried, and rise from the dead. Now, Isaiah chapter 52, from verse 13 all the way to chapter 53, verse 12, is viewed as one of the clearest passages historically that the church has held that could be understood as the story of Jesus' suffering. Isaiah talks about this suffering servant. And Jesus came into this world to serve. He said himself, I came to serve. 
He came as a suffering servant. When he comes again, he's going to come as a ruling king. He's going to come in power and glory. But his first coming was as a servant. And he came to suffer and to take our sins. And Isaiah paints this picture of the suffering servant. But in these two chapters, 52 and 53, man, I tell you, it just, it just fits the life of Jesus so beautifully. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but here are some verses from that passage. And you are probably familiar with some of these verses. Let's go. Isaiah 52. Verses 13 to 15 says the following, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Remember Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And then he says, I will be exalted. The Bible says that Jesus, he suffered and he died, but God exalted him. Isaiah is seeing this 700 years before. Isaiah is writing about this. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance, he's talking about Jesus now, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. We know that the suffering of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, maybe some of you have seen the movie The Passion or other movies where, you know, Jesus shown the suffering. He was beaten, he was cut up, he was whipped. He was a mess. When people looked at him, he didn't look like a human being. And 700 years before, Isaiah is writing about it. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And, and so this, this verse here makes reference about the preaching going forth. When he talks about that, that sprinkle, sprinkle many nations, that it, it, it's a... It's a, it's a a metaphor for preaching, proclaiming to many nations. Remember, Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He came for all the people, all the nations. And so he, many he heard his, the good news about him. All right? Chapter 53 has many familiar verses. Here are a few. 53 verses 3 and 4. He was despised and rejected by men. Huh? Is that Jesus or what? 700 years before. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Remember when Jesus was on, on the cross, people even said, even God has rejected him. My goodness, he's so lost. People just turn their backs on Jesus. And what Isaiah describes fits perfectly the suffering of Jesus. Verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And not only does this passage describe what happened physically with Jesus, it also reveals what happened spiritually about him taking the iniquity of us all. What about verses 10 and 12? Look at this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Sometimes we miss those people. 
All that happened with Jesus was not random. It was planned. And God did it. What? Is God so cruel? No. God is so loving. We'll get to that. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Now watch this. When his soul, Jesus, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Okay? Those that come out of him. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Look what's happening over here. God crushed him. But what happened? God put on Jesus your sins and my sins. None of us could die for each other because we are all sinners. It requires blood to remove the sin of people. But it requires the blood of an innocent person. Jesus was that person. He could pay the price of your sins and my sins. And so God put our sins on him. He was a sacrifice that justified, that, that, that satisfied the justice that God required. But watch this. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. All right? And, but it says that he so makes an offering for guilt, but he shall see his offspring. How will he see his offspring? Because he shall not remain dead. Huh? He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, of all that Jesus suffered, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Because of his suffering, many who are not righteous will be accounted righteous. I'm in that number, are you? I'm righteous, not because of me, because of Jesus, because of what he did. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, you see? Jesus poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Although Jesus himself was not a transgressor, but he died surrounded by transgressors and regarded by many as a transgressor. If he's on the cross, he must be a bad boy. He was counted as a transgressor. Yet, (laughs) he bore the sin of many. He carried in himself the sin of many. Now watch. And makes he bore past tense and he makes present he makes intercession for the transgressions all of a sudden he's alive again and he's praying for the transgressors he's talking about the present ministry of jesus can you see it, it is in there it's maybe hidden in the text that's why we often say that the new testament is hidden in the old testament and the old testament is revealed in the new testament we need to have this knowledge of both and understand history and what happens so that we can make the connection between what was written and what is happening and i think that's what jesus was doing that afternoon as he walked with those two travelers Probably this one of the pastors, he was explaining to them. Look at this, guys. Look what it says. And look what happened. The guys go, whoa. And today, 2,000 years later, we still need to make that connection. Because sometimes we just live our lives and we don't stop to think. 
And when we're not grounded in the word of God, it's easy for the devil to come and pop lies into our thinking. And next thing you know, we are, next thing you know, you are wondering, did, did Jesus really arise from the dead? Oh, is there life after death? I wonder. Hmm. Be careful. And so, this tells us about it. Now, you see, to us, the death of Jesus was a cruel act of injustice. But spiritually and eternally, it was an act of love. And all who see it and accept it will enjoy eternal life. Note the hint in this passage. As I, as I brought it out to you, it, it is pointing to the life of Jesus. Now, that last verse, it, 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 it summarizes, talks about the victories of Jesus. And there have been many already. It speaks of the victories of Jesus. How many empires have been subdued by the gospel? Starting with the Roman Empire. It took three centuries. But eventually, the Roman Empire was subdued by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until today, many leaders have turned around and surrendered to the gospel of Jesus. We are now in the end times. Things are reverting back again to chaos. It's biblical prophecy. And so the final victory of Jesus will be when the nations of this world surrender to him. And that's going to happen sooner than we think. When Jesus returns, that will be the ultimate act of subduing. When the leaders of this world, the presidents of nations, dictators, and you name it, when they all face the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and have to surrender their crowns, their authorities to Jesus and worship him. It's coming, people. And that's going to be the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. Now, the book of Isaiah paints this picture of the suffering servant, like I told you. And, it, and Jesus fits the picture. Jesus himself identified with the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. He described his mission as being a ransom for many in Mark chapter 10. At the Lost Supper, Jesus mentions dying for many using language from the sticks. If you read in Matthew 26. Jesus also speaks of being reckoned with criminals as the Isaiah text describes. Then in Luke 22, he speaks about that. Also, there's another passage in Isaiah Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to a point. You know that passage? Jesus identified himself with that. He says, I am that one. What Isaiah said? Ta-da! Here I am. <laughs> okay? So Jesus himself identifies with what Isaiah has prophesied. Now, the Old Testament, which was the Hebrew Scripture, was the key to understanding God's plan for the coming Messiah. Those ancient texts, those living texts, they, they reveal to us a, a story of what was supposed to, to happen. And it required that the readers of those texts, it required them to be mindful of those things at all times. As you read those prophecies and so forth, you can't just read them and forget about them. Remember, 
during that Old Testament times, these things had not happened yet. And so they had to be alert and watching. When is this going to happen? But they were not alert. In fact, when the, when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, the guys had no idea what they were talking about. And they had to go and look up the script. Oh, yeah. They, they, you know. they were not alert. Now, and that was not, that was throughout the, Israel's history. You know that. Israel would come to God and forget God. Remember God, forget God. And sometimes we do the same, people. Now in the New Testament, we've got the Old Testament. We've got the revelation in the New Testament. We've got history that indicates to us what happened. And sometimes we still become careless. We still become careless. And you see, they had to be observant. And now Paul, he was aware of all this. As a student of scripture and then having encountered Jesus Christ, he was very alert. Theologian N.T. Wright, he said the following. The Bible which Paul had known and loved as a young man, in other words, the Old Testament, was like a story in search of an ending. I mean, you think of it. You read the Old Testament and there are all these promises, but there's no conclusion. It's all hanging in the air. It's a story looking for an ending. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the ending was now revealed. This was where it was all going. You see, you need the Bible to remind you that if this was the ending, what the story itself was all about. But you need the gospel, the good news, to remind you that this was the ending that God himself had provided, giving meaning to the whole thing. In other words, what we've just celebrated last week, last weekend, the resurrection of Jesus, it has meaning because God himself prepared all this. It was the fulfillment of prophecies and he did it for you and for me. The Old Testament prophesied Jesus' death and resurrection. And the New Testament tells us the story of how it came about. Without confidence in the resurrection of the dead, Christianity makes no sense. But when we know, when we know that Jesus rose again. Ah, when we know that Jesus rose again, as Paul said, we can trust that we too will rise again. Jesus is alive indeed. And those who believe in him as the living Savior will also have eternal life. Our world will try to spiritualize the central truths of our faith and say that although Jesus taught many good things, he did not rise from the dead, we must uh, be able to see. Listen, don't do that. Don't, don't make Jesus into a myth, into some kind of spooky spiritual thing. No, no, Jesus is real. He really died. He really rose again. He's really alive today. He's a living Savior. Hallelujah. And those who believe in Him as living Savior will also have eternal life. Our world will try to take us away from these central truths of the Word of God. But we must be able to see from Scripture that Jesus had to die and He had to be raised from the dead to fulfill Scripture, to prove that He was who He said He was. And to truly break the power of sin and of death over those who believe in him. Amen. His death and resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. Fulfilled in the events described in the New Testament. And it has the power to change our lives and destiny 
today, right here in 2023. Amen? Praise God. Now, the question is, do you believe this? Let's stand and let us pray. We're going to continue next week in the series looking at other Old Testament, New Testament scriptures. We're going to take some time next week to look at the whole matter of covenants, New Covenant, Old Covenant, how it affects us today. But it starts here, people, with the resurrection of Jesus. When I used to, to go to schools and, and talk at schools, sometimes I'd open, I'd look at all those kids and say the following to them, I'm here to tell you that I do not believe in God. And they all look at me, what? A pastor who doesn't believe in God? I do not believe that God exists. And they look at me. Then I said, wait. I do not believe that God exists. You know why? Because I know that God exists. I married that beautiful lady back there for almost 43 years now. Imagine if I came to you and I point to Dio and says, you know that lady? I really believe that she's my wife. <laughs> Truly believe, man. With all my heart, eh? You'd say, what? After 43 years, you're still wondering if she's your wife? I must admit, during those first few weeks, I was wondering, is this really my wife? I don't believe it, man. Come on. I took a look at you. It is. It's the paper. It says she's my wife. <laughs> but it comes a point where what you believe must become what you know. I started off believing in God, believing that he existed. Today I know. Because of my worship, my relationship with him, our experience with God. And I pray that for all of you today, those of you watching, those of you listening, that the fact that Jesus is alive, his resurrection, God, life after death, all these things to you will be a reality. Not just a matter of this is what I believe, but it will transform and become this is what I know. Father, I pray, Lord, that this will be the reality for everyone under my voice today, here online in this audio, that we may be able to declare boldly, like, like Paul did, I know in whom I have believed, hallelujah, that we may say confidently, I know that Jesus is alive indeed, hallelujah. I know there is life after this, and I know where I'm going to, because I know in whom I believe, hallelujah. And so I pray there'll be confirmation in every heart, commitment, dedication, that stickability, that determination to hold fast to the truths of Scripture, Lord. And that your power will manifest in people's lives. Your joy, your presence, my God. For your glory, Lord. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us, confirming the reality that Jesus is alive indeed. And because he lives, we too shall live forever with him. Amen and amen. Praise God. Enjoy your Sunday and see you next. Come on, give God the praise. See you next Sunday. Amen.